So welcome to Bare Naked Leaders. I'm Jerry Lynch and today I'll be interviewing Grant Pritchard. Uh, Grant is uh, a real leader in the space of mental health. He's, he's, he's done an amazing job at Spark, creating a movement, and he's helping other businesses to really um, uh, understand mental health and uh, raise the awareness uh, in workplaces in New Zealand. So I'm quite excited. I've known Grant um, a number of years. Um, really excited to uh, listen to his stories. Um, there, you know, he does show a lot of vulnerability. Um, he does talk a lot about um, some very sensitive subjects in the podcast. So, um, yeah, if you're if if mental health is something that's close to your heart, it's a great story to listen to. But um, um, if it does trigger you, then you know maybe it's not for you. So, uh, um, but yeah, he's he's very open, uh, very honest, and uh, it's it's a pleasure to hear him. So let's uh, hear from Grant Pritchard. So good morning. Uh, today I have the pleasure of interviewing Grant Pritchard of Spark. Uh, I've known Grant for uh, a couple of years. He's been an inspiration to me um, in the area of mental health. Um, and uh, uh, I wanted to find out a little bit more about Grant. And you know, he, he describes himself as a legal beagle. He's a lawyer and hopefully not a beagle in the sense of the airport beagle getting, uh, getting into uh, people's dirty, dirty laundry. I'm sure he's a very good lawyer, but I know he's a really inspiring uh, leader. So um, I'm not going to tell his story. I'm going to let Grant introduce himself and tell you about how he's got to where he's got to. So Grant, welcome. Kia ora. Thank you very much for having me on, Jerry. No worries. So tell me a little bit about your story and how you got to where you got to. Yeah, I, um, I grew up in Hamilton in, in New Zealand. Um, studied there, high school, university, graduated from University of Waikato and then um, eventually managed to land a, a legal role in Wellington, spent a few years there, um, got itchy feet, went to Australia, spent a few years there as in, in another law firm in Melbourne, um, and then effectively went in-house. So I worked inside Telstra, which is Australia's Spark, uh, for six years, and then came back to New Zealand. Uh, in the meantime, um, importing my uh, now wife uh, from New Zealand into Australia, having a couple of slightly Aussie kids and then bringing them back here when our older relatives started dying. So, and we're settled in Auckland, New Zealand now. We've been here for about five years. Cool, yeah. And so what got you into the space of uh, mental health? Because I think that's, that's the bit that's really inspired me about you. Yeah, I think um, everybody's got their own mental health journey and their own story around mental health and none are more valid or more important than others. I think, um, for me, like if I reflect way back, we actually, um, in my high school, uh, for example, and, and before I sort of start talking about this stuff, just a, just a rider for people who are on the call um, or are listening to the podcast, sorry, just, you know, it's really, um, mental health can be a tough topic. This, I hope the session with Jerry is going to be really inspiring and practical and useful for you, but um, I will talk about losing uh, some people in my world um, to suicide, and so... If you are struggling with your mental health, um, if you're in a tough spot, you know um, it's okay to pause this the session. Come back later; we're there waiting for you. So in New Zealand, you can call one seven three seven or text that number anytime, 
and there'll be a trained counsellor on the other end of the line waiting to help you through your current situation and your well-being is more important than this podcast. So I'm going to truck on now, but jump off and, and hop onto 1737 if you need some extra support. And if you're outside New Zealand, you'll have some local free phone numbers that you can call as well. So yeah, I um, at high school actually, when I was um, in sixth form, we lost or year 12 now, I think it's called. <laughs> I'm showing my age. But we lost one of, my, um, one of the students in the year above us who'd been quite badly bullied. And I was in a musical production with him. And so he ended his life after the last show, um, which was quite hard. And as a young person, I didn't really know how to deal with that. And just mm. all I knew was there was counsellors in the school and the seventh formers were all really upset. And I didn't really know how to package that up. And so I just bottled that and put it to one side yeah. and kept going. And then in Australia, I was there for six years and that whole six-year period at, at Telstra and before that at the law firm but at Telstra uh, I worked with a really amazing woman whose name was Lucy Sedgwick or Lucinda Sedgwick and she was a really inspiring leader actually but she had her own struggles that she was dealing with that I wasn't aware of and you know we were very close we worked within a couple of meters of each other for the better part of six years and you know she wasn't uh, outside of work type friend I don't want to over overplay that but yeah. she was a good workmate and when we lost her to suicide, I'd caught up with her within a month for a really good, long catch-up for Christmas. And that Christmas period, I think, as well, can be a really tough time for people. It's, yeah. a, it's a real crucible. And there's a lot, of, a lot of challenges and stress and things that come together at Christmas time. But we caught up, and I didn't pick up that she wasn't okay. And, um, you know, when we lost her, I was just reflected on our conversation, and I realised on reflection that actually... She definitely wasn't okay. Mm. And I think um, if I had the skills and knowledge and confidence that I have right now, today, we would have had such a different conversation. Um, and so just moving forward, I just promised myself that I wasn't going to work somewhere that said nothing and did nothing about mental health. And that's not saying anything bad about Telstra, yeah. but it just turned it right up my little private um, values list of like, what are we saying in the workplace? What are we doing about mental health? How can we create a safe, supportive space for our people? But that's really the start of my journey and what ended up you know, turning into something at Spark. Yeah. And what, what was the leadership like in, at that time there? You know, what, what did, the, did, the, did they not, were they worried and didn't say anything about it? Or, you know? Oh, I think that you know, the, the, the legal team at Telstra, they were fantastic overall. You know, I think it's, it was just such a shock to everybody. And the yeah. team, although it was very big, 200 lawyers within Telstra, it was um, a very close-knit team. And mm. so people were, yeah, I can still remember the, um, the sessions that we had as a team after, after we lost Lucy. There was a lot of vulnerability and a lot of hearts on sleeves, I think, from just every day. <laughs> I say every day, every day Spark lawyer, every day Telstra lawyers, sorry, and, and leaders right up to the general counsel being really honest about how they were feeling and what we could do as a team to better support each other. And so I think, you know, that the, the culture was amazing in that team, but, you know, just because you have a great work culture, it doesn't mean that your people aren't going to be struggling with various aspects of their work world or their home world. Yeah, yeah. So obviously this is, you know, it's quite emotional for you. Uh, you know, can you tell me about any leaders that were there that you were inspired by in terms of how they dealt with it or how they yeah. inspired you? Yep. 
Yeah, so um, she's just left Telstra, I think, actually. Carmel Mollahan was the group general counsel at the time. It sort of feels like a lifetime ago now, you know, 20, 2015. Yeah, 2015. But, um, you know, she was able to bring everybody together and be really real because, um, because it was such a close team, you really do feel the loss of that workmate quite, quite deeply. It sort of, it doesn't really feel arm's length. And so she let us feel those tough feelings mm. and, you know, showed those feelings herself. And we kind of were able to work through that and heal together as a, as a group. Mm. Um, and of course, because it's not, you know, your, your sister or your brother or your, your dad, there is also that mix of feelings of like, I feel really, really upset by this, but who am I to be feeling upset by this? Because there's, yeah. there's a much, there, there are people in a much closer orbit to that person who will be really feeling it, yeah. you know? And so I kind of struggled with that for a while, but um, I kind of accepted that you're allowed to, you're allowed to grieve. Yeah. You know, you can, you can care for or, um, or love a workmate. Yeah. And, when when we lost her, I think it kind of opened up through Carmel a an ability in the team for people to just be really real about how they were feeling and how they were doing. So that you know, yeah, she's a great leader. Yeah. So that leader, I mean, I, I, this is quite interesting to me around vulnerability because I think this is what you're talking to is a leader showing their emotions and how they're feeling. Because mm. for me, when I was growing up and when I was you know. I came from a big Irish family where you don't show your feelings, and you know, actually showing your feelings is a is a, a weakness. You know, and um, I remember doing a you know, telling a conference, telling my staff about my dad's story, and, and I was tearing up. You know, and I thought I shouldn't be doing this. You know, so how was it like for you as seeing a leader in this situation showing emotions or showing feelings? I think when leaders do that, you know, I think you talk about um, your emotional vocabulary is some aspects of that being seen as a weakness, but I feel like it's our greatest strength as people mm. to be real, human. And, and, you know, humans don't have a limited emotional range. And in a workplace environment, and actually in any environment, if you, if you throttle and, and limit your emotional range so that you can be, you know, as a man especially, you can be happy, excited, tired, angry, um, you know, traditionally in the past, many years ago, hopefully for most families, violent, yeah. aggressive, but you can't show any kind of vulnerability or weakness or, you know, regret, sadness, um, fear, worry, mm -hmm. all those totally natural feelings. And when you just shove those down, it can be really harmful, I think. And that's, that's you know, I'm not, and I make a very pain, I'm, pain, I'm at pains to point out that I'm not an expert in this space. and. I've got some lived experience and I've read a lot of um, uh, books and things from people who know what they're talking about and I've met a lot of people who are very smart and, and experienced in this space. But you know, I think we each have a role to play and when it comes to feelings, it's such a cultural thing and it starts at home. Mm. And I think in the workplace, if you can allow people to bring their whole healthy emotional range to work. And that doesn't mean that you bring your bullying, nasty self to work. It just yeah. means that you can have a tough time and you can be, you know, a grieving loss of a partner or you could have a kid that's off the rails with some kind of addiction or that they're in a tough space themselves and you're a carer or a support person around that. And if we don't realize that people have a whole life and a whole emotional range and, 
you know, an, a, a, a sense of mental well-being and an emotional state of ebbs and flows, we can kind of miss the why because all we'll see is the what at work. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, um, I think, you know, leaders who are vulnerable and share their emotions give their people permission to care for themselves and for each other and to be honest. Because otherwise, what are we doing at work? Just maintaining a false, you know, professional persona. Mm. And how healthy is that in the long run? I think that's, uh, if, you can, if you can really get that and you can create a team where there's safety around your emotions and people feel like they can bring their whole self to work, that's just so powerful. Yeah, yeah. and I think obviously Carmel, is it Carmel who, mm. who shows, showing her emotions just gives you permission to, okay, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's really healing. Yeah. Right? It's not everybody's sort of try, worrying about what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. You know, and I think that's especially um, the case in New Zealand. Mm. You know, I got, you know, blindsided by our level of quietness yeah. in New Zealand about how we're really feeling and what we're really thinking. Mm. And in, in the work environment, that can result in really bad decision making. Mm. Um, or teams that can be a bit unhealthy. And so yeah. both of those two things, if we can face into that, um, you can kind of unleash a much more high performing, high engaged, highly engaged and healthy team environment. Mm. Yeah. So you've had a couple of a couple of incidents quite closely to you where, mm. you know, obviously it's shown you yeah, yeah, the the power of, of good mental health, you know, mm. and, and what inspired you? Because when I think about leadership, and what a lot of lot of people think about leadership, they think about actually people who have a, who have a team. You know, they've mm. got. But I, I I view leadership as um, inspiring people you want to follow, not necessarily. You know, and I've seen people in 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 factories who have got no reports, who are operators, who are leaders because of what they do, and how they inspire people. And this is what I see from you around the mental health space. So what what got you mm. from being someone who was aware of mental health to actually someone who's shifted and taken action to actually leading in mental health and wanting others to understand more about it. I think it was that that penny drop moment and the wake of, of losing Lucy like that. I just realized that, you know, coming back to New Zealand, the very first thing that I did was say, what are we saying and what are we doing in this workplace? And if you don't like the answer, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast, just when you're back in the office, if you're in the workforce, or even if you're in university or some other uh, environment like that, just do some probing around. Like, ask those qu two questions. What are we saying? What are we doing about mental health and creating a really healthy, psychosocially safe environment for our people? And if you don't like the answer to those questions, then you can do something about it. And, you know, I think I've really completely agree with that view of leadership is that it's not a role. It's, it's something that you demonstrate, like it's a, it's a trait. And I didn't think I'm going to lead in the area of mental health. It just kind of happened. Yeah. And I think that's when it can be the most powerful is where you notice all of a sudden that you've done something that is helping other people and that other people are getting behind. And I, I think in, in New Zealand especially, I think that's a real issue for us. Tall poppy syndrome, nobody wants to stick their head up. And when you do, you can find, and that might, it's not just about mental health, it could be any facet of your work or personal world, that when you do stick your head up, people will try and, and knock you down. And I, I think I struggle with that. And, and part, of the, um, part of the power of, of, of getting comfortable with leading where you are and going, 
well, if I let tall poppy rule my life, how impactful am I going to be in these areas of my life that I'm really passionate about? Mm. Like I'm really, I think mental health um, is the singular issue that's facing New Zealand. I mean, that's maybe overstating it, but that's my my feeling is that if we can unlock a more mentally healthy home and school and university and work and community environment, then we can fundamentally change the game in terms of our overall well-being as a country. And so that's not just going to take the government doing something. A lot of people will wait. And I would just say, don't wait for the CEO, don't wait for the government, don't wait for the next well-being budget. Um, you can do something, you can step forward in this space. And it's actually about just taking that first step or those first few steps. Mm. And that um, pace, there's nothing wrong with, with, with starting little. I think, you know, you see a problem like my workplace isn't a really safe space for mental health conversations. And that can seem quite daunting, especially if you're not in the C-suite. Yeah. Um, but I would just say, make a start, find some allies start a conversation, start really deeply listening in this space and you would be surprised how quickly you'll gain momentum and start making a positive impact in your work or home world. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think it's really inspiring what you've done and what you are doing. Um, when I think, another thing around leadership is, is doubt and struggle, you know, so when I think of, you know, myself, imposter syndrome, a lot of people talk about, you know, I'm not sure if I can do that. And you know, from what you've done, what what were the doubts in your mind that came along, and what were the struggles you had to overcome along the way? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I think everybody has those doubts. Yeah. People don't say that they have those doubts, but they have those doubts. Yeah. And I think um, for me, it was um, having the courage of my convictions, I guess, because. There won't just be imposter syndrome. You will have people knocking what you're trying to do and saying, that'll never work. That, you know, that'll make things worse. And you have to kind of trust your spidey senses. Mm. You know, we, we're given this life to live and it's, it's not all about creating value. It's about having an impact. And so I think um, Kiwis especially tall poppy imposter syndrome, it really affects, it, it rev limits how impactful we can be in, in every facet of our life. Because we, you know, the mental health is a great example. I'm not, I don't have a tertiary qualification in mental health. And so at different points during this process, I mean, I always come back to, I am an advocate for better mental health at work. I have my own story. I have read a lot of relevant books and met a lot of very, talented, knowledgeable people who know way more than me. And so I can draw from those people, but I am not an expert. I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, but what can I do from where I am? And I think you have to, to kind of know your limits in a way yeah. as well. So that, yeah, I, I think, again, imposter syndrome is something that as a country and I think it starts as you as an individual and then the leaders within your workplace if you can train that out of people which you can do yeah. the the impact on your business and on your people and on your workplace culture um, will be significant yeah. and I think it's a great point and and I think when we 
can you think about probably what was what was your biggest struggle? So if you if you go back to thinking, you know, to, to where you are now, if you can think of a specific time when you thought whether, whether there's a doubt or how do I get through this, you know, mm. what, what, describe that situation. And yeah, I can give you two examples of that. One is probably coming out of university. Um, I and it's a real first world problem, right? <laughs> so and that's okay, but I think. For me, I was at this crossroads where I'd kind of done all the things that I should do. I'd done the things that I'm good at. I'd kind of listened to my parents and studied law and I kind of got out of university. And I think when you go into university, you don't really know where you're going. Mm. I think most people, they're, they're interested in, you know, in helping others, so they study medicine and they're interested in, you know, solving problems, um, which I was. And, and, you know, the law is, is very much about people and problems and so I got in there came out the other side and then did the usual thing which is interview at all the big law firms in New Zealand and I got pretty close to getting a role but I didn't get a role mm. and I just spent five years at university studying two degrees and a graduate computer science diploma yeah. and didn't get a job <laughs> <laughs> and got some great feedback and yeah. really you know it just I was like what what is happening here like who am I? Hmm. And, and am I, am I going to be a lawyer? Is this something that I was destined to do? And you may have, you may believe in fate or not, and you may have a faith or not. But I was really questioning what the hell I was going to do with my life at that hmm. point. And then, in a moment of personal clarity, I called the one law firm. I emailed the one law firm that didn't even respond to my application. After following up with everybody <laughs> and getting about six to eight no's, and they said, oh yeah, sure, come and meet us. Come meet us in Auckland. And I was like, what? Okay. And at this stage, I'm like living away from home, bones in my bum, no money, and you know, enough money to get some gas in the car and go to Auckland. And so I went up there and met the HR director. This is so long ago now, I can say this without getting crucified, hopefully, because I love this firm. But um, the HR manager at the time, I went up to the offices on Fanshawe Street in the downtown Auckland and met the HR director and she said, what do you think of the view and could you see yourself working here? And I just was like, what the hell's going on here? Because the other law firm interviews was very detail oriented, yeah. they'd ask you all these questions about the law and I was like, yeah, I'd love to work here and that's a great view. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, that's fantastic. Well, we'll be in touch. And that was it. And I walked down the elevator, I went down the elevator, hopped in my car, just totally fuming. And I was like, this is, I'm totally done with this law thing. I've done computer science. I've already kind of got a startup going on the side. I'm just going to yeah. push on with that. And then I drove home and got a ticket on the way home for not having my car registration. And so <laughs> by that stage, I was just like, it wasn't a great day. And then the next day they were like, oh, yep, we've got a place for you in Wellington. Wow. And the technology legal team, we think your computer science background are really helpful. Um, would you like to start in November? <laughs> so again, and that was that, that thing of like just pushing through and just doing that last follow-up and being yeah. um, persistent enough can sometimes create a breakthrough that if you hadn't done that last step, yeah. you would have, that door would have just closed. Like yeah. I don't think if, if I had sent that email that I would have been a lawyer right now. Yeah. And I've been involved in some cool stuff I mean, that nobody's going to care about because yeah. it's, um, you know, but, but even just the in-house work, it's been really, you know, some of the stuff, the, the products, the services, the projects that I've been involved in over the last 10 years in-house have changed how we work and live and play in Australia and New Zealand. And I'm, that's really cool. But gosh, what if I'd not sent that email? Yeah. 
So yeah. Wow. Mm. Call it fate, or you can call it persistence. I'd call it persistence. So. Yeah. Um, great. But the other thing um, I like to talk about is mistakes, because you know this is something that a lot of leaders don't like to talk about their mistakes. And um, I, I was on a, uh, I was coaching some people uh, in Asia Pac a few years ago, and we had to do some, uh, we had to do what they call the, your oh shit moment, which was a time when you've made a big mistake in your career. And one of the leaders who was a president at the time of Asia Pacific talked about when he got sacked by a company. I thought, God, I thought my, my oh shit moment was good, but that was nothing compared with what he had. But you, you could see that the, the future leaders looking at him, their jaws dropped. You know, they thought, wow, this guy's got to this position and yet he's made such a big mistake like that. So you know, if you think about your oh shit moment, what, mm. you know, what would be an oh shit moment in your career that you... And we all have those. Yeah. We yeah. all have them. Like if you just cast your mind back far enough, we've definitely got those oh shit moments. For me, probably the one that stands out the most, and it's you know in the medium to recent past rather than the long distant past, was um, in the mental health space at Spark. One of the top priorities for us, because this is community led, it's staff led, yeah. and management and HR and health and safety supported. One of the big things for me, because you have a huge microphone when you're talking about mental health, and when you're almost you're speaking into people's lives and you mm. don't know where they're at with their mental well-being, they could be in quite a difficult position with their mental health. And so then you run an event or you share a resource or you have an initiative that you roll out. Sitting underneath all of that has to be everything that we do about mental health must help our people. We're helping, we're not harming. And so that is the kind of unwritten rule that we have underpinning. Mm. There's this sort of stress test before we're doing anything. Have, has this passed the help not harm test? And so one of the big risk factors for us is actually getting people to speak. Mm. Because um, that's a really great way to bring people together, to inspire people, to have our people learning. You know, we had the Mental Health Foundation and some of New Zealand's biggest companies and government agencies, and I was like, come on into Spark. <laughs> and we ran this amazing, powerful session at our main conference center where all these workplaces were getting together, sharing what they were doing, what, you know, the war stories, what worked, what didn't. And that's a great example of bringing people together, the power of sharing and not just keeping everything for yeah. yourself. But separate to that, we had another event that I ran where we had somebody that we brought in and I prep all of our speakers. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't want to bring someone in to talk about mental health and find that they aren't, um, that they're saying things that could be controversial or harmful for your people. And so I prepped the speakers. And this one, I kind of, my spidey senses as we were doing the pre the pre session session was like mm, this could turn into something that's a bit more sales pitchy mm. or a bit snake oily or yeah. there could be some things here that are said that aren't grounded in great science um, that some people are not going to love or that could be unhealthy and so the overall the speaker had great background great skills a great story to tell and so I said look if you're coming here, this can't be a hour-long sales pitch, mm. and everything that you say has got to be grounded in science. Yeah. And I gave some specific examples of the things that wouldn't be said. Um, and so but you had a, an inkling that uh, I did, mm. I did. And so I said, look, these are the conditions. Mm. And then we ran a live-streamed session at our main conference center, 300 seats capacity, with eight live streams around the, con the country, um, and those things that I didn't want to have happen, happened. In an environment where there's a lectern at the front 
and an audience and yeah. cameras and and eight different office locations all watching this and overall it was good it was like 85 percent good but that last 15 percent i was like you son of a yeah. i told you not to say that stuff yeah. and so um that was my oh shit moment was like yeah. what am i going to do now you know there were people that were like fine 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 in the audience fine 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 i'm walking out of the session mm. you know i could see it happening and i was like what do I do? And, and you know, I had, um, I basically opted not to stand up and intervene at that point and pull the microphone. Yeah. But it meant that by not having that courage of my convictions around this stuff, I had to do a lot of damage control afterwards. And the, I mean, the good thing about it was it, we didn't, it, there was no, you know, crisis thing that happened coming out of that. It was fine. And actually people were saying, I got a lot out of the session. And there were some stories that came out of that session because it was a panel session as well mm. of some really breakthrough things that had happened to people coming out of that session but people were like yeah that really wasn't that good that part was it and so i had to kind of set the record straight this is what yeah. the science is um you know there is a genetic link to predisposition for anxiety and depression um there's a you know 150,000 people peer-reviewed study that confirms the genetic links yeah. um and so that kind of stuff, I think I've, I've probably labored the point there, but that was very challenging for me because it actually impacted my own mental health. Yeah. Like that was the, like, that was the point at which I was really struggling with what do I do? I've stuffed this. Yeah. And I made it right by communicating and, and, and apologizing and actually being a bit humble about it and being like, well, and people were very, very understanding. Yeah. You know, really understanding like, so, and supportive. So what was going through your mind? You were saying, it you, you, sounds like you were beating yourself up. And that's that's one of the things in terms of you know, regret or you know that people struggle totally. with. So yeah, I definitely definitely was beating myself up. Yeah. And I think through the support of workmates I had around me, you know, we've got a team of people that organises these events. Yeah. And the feedback that came through for the overall event was like really great session. These things I really loved about it. We had a guy that came out of that session, and he had been he's 35 years old. He'd been estranged from his dad since he was five. And as a result of that session, he picked up the phone and talked to his dad for the first time in 30 years. Wow, that's, that's cool. So that was the upside. But in yeah. the meantime, I'm kind of like ruminating on yeah. that bit where it came a bit unstuck. And I got there in the end. I think it just took a couple of days for me to process that, yeah. immediately intervene and set the record straight, realize that people did get a lot out of it. And then moving yeah. forward, there's a bit of decision making there about me trusting my gut yeah <laughs> and so if somebody's coming in now and i get the sense that they're going to be going off script or saying stuff that's not entirely accurate or healthy then they won't be coming in yeah i think the other thing i you know listening to you there is the a lot of leaders have really high expectations and don't like to make even one mistake and you know you've got a great scenario where you've changed someone in terms of actually their mental health and connecting mm. with their father but we all beat ourselves up. It wasn't 100%. It was 95%. So, you know, that's another thing from, you know, I see, I see with a lot of leaders that they, because they're so high achieving, you know, any mistake is blown out of proportion, I think. And then in the professions, I think that's a real problem. Perfectionism yeah. is a real problem. So whether that's engineering, medicine, accounting, yeah. the law, like there's a lot of smart people that get into these um, areas of practice and they can let perfectionism get in the way of even completion sometimes and be kind of held captive by 
an inability to see what good enough looks like. Yeah. And so every extra iteration, every extra hour or minute you're spending on something when it's already good enough, you're not able to do the next thing. Yeah. You're not able to move on. And I think, yeah, you have to realize that everything that you do won't be perfect. Yeah, oh, that's cool. So, let's, so, so to wrap up, I just wanted to um, take you, if you could go back in time, I'll give you a, a you know, time machine. You can go back to your early 20s. Hmm. What advice would you give to your, your younger self around leadership? I think it starts with accepting yourself as you are. Like realizing that actually I'm enough just as I am right now and I can always be better and I can always be stronger. Um, but I think great leadership actually comes from self-acceptance mm. and, and knowing your strengths and playing to them. And so I would be saying, know your strengths, play to those strengths, listen to the people around you, um, embrace those really tough feelings that are conditioned out of us as young men especially. Um, because they can help you through. They're normal, they're healthy, they're okay, and it's okay to, to express and feel those feelings and to not give up. Mm. Like really, you know, don't give up and trust your, trust your gut. Um, and aside from that, don't work too hard. Okay. Prioritise connections, friendships. I'm still struggling with that now. I think we all are. Um, so, yeah. But yeah. No, that's, that's brilliant, uh, Grant. I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, what I've got out of this, I think, uh, you know, I've written down feelings. So actually, it's, it's unusual in the workplace. It's unusual with leaders to show feelings, but I think it's essential the more, the mm. more we do it. Uh, you know, you just talked about persistence. I think the beliefs and listening to your gut is another one that, you know, I don't know how many times I've been through this where I thought, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. But I'm a logical person, so I'll, I'll use rationale <laughs> yep. to get myself out of this situation. But I think there's generally a spidey sense, as you call it, is it's generally always right. You know? And you've got to just maybe look into it a little bit more, spend a little mm. bit more time with it. Uh, courage of your convictions. Um, um, the perfection, I, love, I love the one about perfectionists. And I, I also love that just accepting yourself. You know, be who you are. And that is, that's really authentic real leadership is about be you. Don't be someone else. Don't try yeah. to be someone else. So true. So, um, so thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you. Obviously, uh, I love what you're doing in the mental health space. I think you're very inspiring. And um, uh, yeah, thank you. I'd love to see where you go in the future. And if, if, if any of your listeners are doing any great things in the workplace or they've started something and they just need a bit of a sounding board, just feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn because I, I think the more we can do to lift each other up, the better. Right. So I'm always open to connecting and sharing and, and being a bit of a sounding board on this kind of thing. Thanks, Brilliant. Jerry. Thanks. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. So that was Grant Pritchard. And uh, yeah, there's some great lessons um, I've taken out of that. So one, you know, as a, when you're talking about mental health, um, and it's a big topic in the workplace at the moment, um, it's one of these hidden things that you don't see, but when you dig under the surface, you find it's present. Uh, I think one of the key things there that I, I got out of Grant is really the importance of a leader showing vulnerability. Um, this gives permission for others to show it. So if you're showing yourself and showing your emotions, then others will do it too. Um, I also think the, the other thing I took out was just the courage of your convictions. So, you know, 
trust your spidey sense, if you like, which is what you talked about, is and your your gut, your heart, whatever you want to talk about. There's, there's too many too many people, and I do this myself. Is you rationalise things, you go up to your brain, you 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 can persuade yourself anything, but you know your gut usually uh, tells you what's going on and your feeling if you can tune into it. And then um, really the other point I took out was just accepting yourself, uh, and that really is about authenticity and, and real leadership. You know, you are unique, you are yourself, you don't need to be someone else, um, and it's really important that you accept yourself. So that was the lessons from Grant. So thank you to Grant, and um, if you're struggling with your leadership or if you need help with your culture, then happy to, you know, hear a call from you. Reach out to me on jerry at realleadershipnz.co.nz or through LinkedIn. Um, And until next week, and we'll hear stories from another, another leader. Thanks and have a great week. Cheers, bye. Thank you.